And again, I think that's another layer of psychedelics compared to cannabis, which psychedelics have really, in my opinion, excelled at the medical application, whereas cannabis has attempted at being classified as a medicine. But I don't know if it's done us as much of a service as psychedelics being used as medicine from a therapy perspective. And so, again, just like further diving into that conversation and having conversations over the course of the last couple of days is just continuing to just make my gears turn. Just Again, this is not to be definitive. This is not a punctuation point by any means. This is just a further jumping off point for more conversation. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Taravi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And today's episode is a bit of word vomit. I don't know how else to classify it. I am trying to get my thoughts still around this last week, attending both the Psychedelic Science event, which on record was the largest psychedelic conference to date. It was put on by the MAPS Association, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And there were allegedly over 11,000 attendees. And so had an opportunity to go to that event. I will like kick this statement off by highlighting, I know very little about psychedelics. I am very eager to learn more. I am very open-minded to psychedelics. I just don't speak that language. And so that was part of why I was really intrigued to attend the psychedelic science event because when in Denver, like when else are you going to get an opportunity to participate in a movement and a conversation like this? And so I got to attend that event, but I was primarily in Denver for the Cannabis Marketing Association's Cannabis Marketing Summit. This was its second year of putting on this event. It was in Denver last year as well. And this event has quickly become one of my favorite events. Of course, as someone who identifies as a cannabis marketer, it's really exciting when you get to be in a room full of cannabis marketers, people who understand what your troubles and hardships are, people who are creative and coming up with interesting strategies to circumvent and navigate around things like censorship and advertising and marketing cannabis products. And so that event in and of itself was a really great opportunity and loved being a part of it and also got to speak on Friday at the summit. So certainly more to come there. But I think the best way to start to unpack this is to really just start at the beginning. So for my benefit and your gain, I'm just going to kind of walk through and word dump everything that's coming up in my mind. And my hope is that it resonates with you and it gives you always a point to jump off with further exploration. Again, I feel like I don't need to include disclaimers at this point, but if you are new here, 
Welcome to the To Be Blunt podcast. I try to exist in reality as much as possible, as painful as it is. My whole goal with putting on this podcast in general was to gather opinions and perspectives about topics, about markets, about different sides of the industry that I personally might not be privy to, be aware of by simply just not existing in that particular marketplace or side of the industry. And so with that, I am always curious. I am always fascinated and want to learn more. And so again, like going into this week, there was definitely some knowns and definitely some unknowns. And this discussion right here right now is just my attempt at putting it all out on the table for further discussion. I just wanted to put it somewhere. I just wanted to get all my thoughts out of my head put it down on the podcast. I'm sure there will be more content, but for those of you who like to, I was gonna say visually, but that's, like I said, more content. I'm gonna be writing some stuff. So be on the lookout for that on tobebluntpod.com. But for your audio listening pleasure, I think there is just something about having a conversation. And so I know that this is a monologue. I'm talking to you and you are listening to me, but I hope that what I share can spark some conversations and I really truly welcome the discussion. So with that said, I'm just going to dive right in. I mentioned that I attended the Psychedelic Science Conference. I mentioned that it was 11,000 people. Now let's go into what that experience truly was like. Walking into the convention center, it was called the Denver Convention Center, was wild. It's a different type of audience for one. Again, I don't mean this in any kind of way, but people who are into psychedelics as like a primary, they just have a different aura about them. And there's a very wide spectrum of people. I'm sure people can make the same assumption about cannabis. Obviously, there's like typical people who look very poster child for cannabis consumption. And then there's like everyone else who is just a normal soccer mom or a business person. Like, you don't have to be a typical stereotype to consume or to want to see it advocate and grow in adoption. But again, walking into a psychedelic event, which I've never necessarily been in at this scale, was like, whoa, these people are speaking a different language than me. And that immediately hit me in my feels because I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed by not understanding something. And while I felt overwhelmed when I walked in, I think I was more motivated and fueled to unpack it and to learn, which was, again, part of the reason like why I was there. I think it's really important to confront things that you may or may not agree with or may not fully understand in an attempt to better understand it. And I think because there's a lot of synergies between cannabis and psychedelics, Just in general, I think both are being referred to as plant medicine. I think there's some external stuff that is reinforcing that. I have other podcast friends who are in the cannabis space who are now attempting or including psychedelic-related content in their traditional cannabis content. So that's something that I'm considering. So if you want to hear more about psychedelics, because you do see there's some synergies and overlap, let me know. I'm personally exploring that still. Again, I think I'm not opposed to it. I just I don't know enough about psychedelics to talk about it. So that's really not where this is coming from. This is more just me as Shada attending these conferences, having these conversations, wanting to just give you guys a peek behind the curtain of what I was experiencing. But then on the other side, I attended an after party put on by Grasslands, which is a very well-recognized cannabis 
plants extension and psychedelics PR agency based in Denver. And they had an after party that was melding the two again. So like the psychedelic community and the cannabis community. So I'll talk about that maybe a little bit later, but really just trying to highlight that there is a lot of my external world saying, hey, these go together. And then me individually, I'm like, I just don't know enough about psychedelics. So I want to learn. So walking in and seeing a lot of foreign words and language and a lot of different types of people, it was overly stimulating, but again, like in a good way, because I'm like, let's learn. Let's just like dive head in, like dive, dive deep. And I attended the opening keynote, which this is like where it starts to get really interesting. And my brain starts to be like, oh my God, holy shit. So I feel like I'm going to say things and then I'm going to unpack them. So again, just bear with me. Rick Doblin, he is the founder of MAPS. Again, MAPS is the association that is leading a lot of this research, advocacy, adoption, community. And Rick Doblin being the founder of that is just put a pin in it. He is like a guy who knows what's going on. He's, for all intents and purposes, the leader of this group of all these psychonauts. And MAPS and Psychedelic Science, I believe, have had four conferences. I forget when the first one happened. But the last one, I believe, was like in 2017, 2018. So they're not having these every year. And I just mentioned that because I think it's easy to assume, oh, my gosh, this conference is going on all the time. No, the last one was in the late 20. 20- tens, I guess that's what you would call it. And so the next one didn't happen until 2023. So here I am sitting in the audience and Rick Doblin is opening up this discussion and he is starting off by saying like, hell yes, we've got LSD, we've got DMT, we've got MDMA, we've got psilocybin. And he goes, and I can't wait to see what you come up with next. And I just sat there and paused. I think to put it in perspective from where I'm coming from, Again, I'm not a psychedelic person per se. I have dabbled in microdosing, mushrooms. I have done a, you know, I don't want to say a couple, but like a few larger classified perhaps maybe as a heroic dose of mushrooms. And then I've done LSD once at a music festival. And so I'm not opposed to these things. I just don't know enough about them and certainly don't know about these other psychedelics that were mentioned, ketamine, ayahuasca also being in there. And it just was interesting hearing him saying, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Because to me, I think when I think of psychedelics, I really first and foremost think about psychedelic mushrooms and mushrooms being a natural plant, right? Like mushrooms are grown in the ground. Yes, you can grow them in labs per se, but It's mostly something that is natural. They talk about the fantastic fungi and the fungal networks. And there's lots of great Netflix content out there to further explore specifically psychedelic mushrooms. But that for me was like the main filter of assumption. Maybe everything psychedelic related is natural. And then when he said what you make up next, it just started to pick apart what I was aware of. And that only continued to further unravel as I was attending other events during the conference. So just to put another pin in the conversation, it was really interesting because I 
got to see after Rick Doblin opened, the two people who followed up were actual state governors. So the next person who entered the chat, so to speak, was the state of Texas's former governor, my home state, of course, Rick Perry, which I think got a really interesting welcome to the audience because it's Rick Perry. But I'm just mentioning it because as a Texan, it was interesting to see him speak more publicly about psychedelics over the past couple of years and then to be on stage and further going into kind of what brought him to the table and why he has become an advocate for it is because of the application specifically for trauma with veterans. And again, I think that's another layer of psychedelics compared to cannabis, which psychedelics have really, in my opinion, excelled at the medical application, whereas cannabis has attempted at being classified as a medicine But I don't know if it's done us as much of a service as psychedelics being used as medicine from a therapy perspective. And so, again, just like further diving into that conversation and having conversations over the course of the last couple of days is just continuing to just make my gears turn. Just again, this is not to be definitive. This is not a punctuation point by any means. This is just a further jumping off point for more conversation. So, Rick Perry spoke and then. It was Jared Polis, who is the current governor of the state of Colorado, and really getting into kind of like what prompted him to go forward and one, help usher in legislation around psychedelics, but then two, learning a little bit more about the decriminalization efforts of specifically some of these psychedelics. So like mushrooms are decriminalized for personal possession. You definitely can't be tripping in public. That will incur a fine no possession for minors, things like that. But basically, Colorado has legalized psychedelic therapy, which I'm still learning more about. But from my understanding, the way that Colorado has legalized is not like cannabis, where you're not going to see a bunch of psychedelic dispensaries pop up. So it's like on one hand, you have the decrim side. So it's like personal possession. You can have psychedelics as long as you are an individual of age being responsible. Great. Check, check, check. On the other end, if you want to be administered at psychedelics, you have to go through a licensed therapist. And from my understanding, while it was legalized this year, it won't actually implement until 2024, 2025, 2026. And there's some different psychedelics that will be implemented first. And then the next wave of psychedelics will be implemented, if that makes sense. What I need to find more information about, but going off of the whole kind of like thread of this, which maybe if you're catching what I'm putting out, you'll start to be like, ah, I see where she's going. I heard that because of the way that psychedelics are being rolled out, they are one going, I mean, psychedelics for for y'all, if you don't realize, are still also a scheduled controlled substance by the federal government. So when these states are legalizing, they are doing so within their own state confines But there are still some kind of like caveats and some like gotchas that that are getting implemented. And I think that was also another sentiment being echoed by Rick Perry to Rick Doblin during his opening, basically saying, hey, you want to run really fast in this direction to get towards psychedelic legalization, but also cautionary tale, working with the government, like, and again, like to unpack that, that just is further being clear to me as we're running towards legalization, but what are the implications? And so from a cannabis perspective, that looks like 
legalization, but for who and how many? Are you legalizing, but there's limited licensure? Or are you legalizing, but there's certain requirements or stipulations that come with actually legalizing? And of course, that's how it goes. I think I've certainly taken a little bit more of a tune of wanting descheduling of particular classified drugs like cannabis or even like psychedelics and don't fully know the pros and the cons of like legalization versus decriminalization, specifically when it comes to psychedelics. Again, I have opinions on its application to cannabis. But again, just like that understanding of, hey, we just want this to be so adopted. So let's go fight for legalization, whatever that looks like. Now, oh, by the way, here's how it's actually being legalized. And maybe it's a deviation from our original intention. So what I mean by that is when you have this happen from a psychedelic perspective, you're realizing that the government for it to be legal is actually legalizing the synthetic production of psychedelics. And that has a lot of weight with that statement. And again, I'm now trying to paint the picture for you. I'm sitting at the psychedelic event and I'm like, oh my gosh, holy crap. These psychedelic people are pro open embracing synthetics. I don't want to gloss over everybody has that sentiment. But again, when Rick Doblin comes out and he's like, and I can't wait to see what you make next. And you have this understanding of, okay, Colorado has legalized psychedelics from a therapy perspective. How do those psychedelics get created? Who's, you know, issuing them out? Right now, my understanding is it's still coming from the DEA. So there has to be DEA approved labs that are creating these psychedelics, synthesizing and creating synthetic compounds, right? And so it's what's the trade-off? We want legalization, but it's got to come at the cost of natural versus synthetic. And so I've done a little bit of research in between then and now on just trying to understand, is the word synthetic inherently bad? Is the word synthetic, is the word natural inherently good? And my take on that is no, I do not believe that synthetic equals bad. And I do not believe that natural means good. Shit, there's a whole wave right now of products that are saying natural flavorings, but you and I know, or maybe now natural is just a catch-all word for whatever they want to lump into natural that they have permissible levels to include by the government on packaging, on labeling, in ingredients. And so I'm very cautious with the word natural. I think it has been misused and unfortunately become a marketing term. And so just want to like highlight that as well. I think when you're looking at the cross between psychedelics and cannabis being quote unquote more natural and then Coming from the hemp side, we obviously have this introduction of synthetics. But if you follow me, you know that I like to correct that word to synthesized, even getting into biosynthesis, not saying that there aren't true synthetics out there, but I do think that there is good and bad chemistry. Again, it's not that synthetics are inherently bad. It's there's bad ways to synthesize and there's good ways to synthesize. And so that just like further kept becoming a focal point in my brain as I was going through psychedelic science. And then I was super fortunate to catch a conversation later in the day by Andrew Huberman of the Huberman Lab podcast, a really cool podcast in my opinion, because he's just a really smart individual who spends large sums of time unpacking specific topics related to sometimes cannabis, alcohol, psychedelics. And certainly he shared his experience using MDMA during his interview. And that, again, it was like my brain was just like, click. Who's talking about how MDMA is fully synthetic. And I'm sitting there, what the hell? These people are applauding. They are agreeing. They are embracing that you did a therapy using MDMA, knowing that it's fully synthetic. And then meanwhile, I'm over here trying to talk about synthetic cannabinoids, chemically derived cannabinoids, and I'm getting the side eye 
crazy look. And I, I just was flabbergasted. I was like, wait, am I living in an alternate universe that these people are okay with it, but my industry is not? And so again, I think there's a convergence happening, whether you like it or not. That's really my point. Like whether you like it or not, the application of chemistry is coming and it's already here in the pharmaceutical industry. And I think there's no shyness from the pharmaceutical industry wanting to take over the cannabis industry. Again, I think that goes back to us doing ourselves a disservice, referring to it as a medicine. That to me always opens up a can of worms of, well, if it's a medicine, then how do you scale it? How do you create consistency? Again, with a plant, there's inconsistency because of genetics, because of growing conditions, because of the cultivator itself, and just the variability of seed to seed. There's going to be variations. But again, the application of something as medicine is coming into this rudimentary, repeatable kind of idea. And that to me is like a cross section of where we're trying to take something that is and can be natural and also give it legs to be repeated and consistent and scale from a medical perspective. And so again, looking at the psychedelic side of this equation where that's what is happening to their industry. They have pressed for legalization. They have done the studies and are showing that these chemicals can be applied for certain scenarios from a medical perspective, which is why they're now being legalized through this medical therapy environment. So it was very fascinating and it's still very eye-opening. Again, I'm just going to remind you for listening to this, please weigh in. I do not want to exist in an echo chamber. I'm just simply trying to look at all these different signs and make sense of it and distill it back down into making sense of what really is impacting me as a business owner, as a consumer, and as an advocate really of plant medicines and plant modalities. So it is just a really interesting conversation because I did try to go to other sessions. One, I wanted to go to one on microdosing psychedelics because, again, I think there's a little bit of overlap, especially when cannabis education comes into play, where like how much is too much of a dose? And knowing that all I'm using drugs for the you know layman term of just like something that is mind altering, all these drugs have different doses and different intensities, different effects. Of course, as you may know, LSD uses very minuscule amounts to achieve a potent effect compared to, let's say, psilocybin, for example. And so understanding the medium and understanding your biochemistry and how much your body needs is one aspect of the equation. So wanted to go to that session, didn't get a chance to make it in because it was so busy. This conference was so busy. It was just bursting at the seams, which is the best thing for them, but also a little bit chaotic when you're trying to go educate yourself. So again, forgive me if there's some gaps in what I'm able to communicate because I was trying to soak it all up, but it was just, it was a lot. Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here. And I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress, body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. 
Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five star. Always super generous when we come here. Also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to restartcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp-derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. I didn't make it into that one, but then another one that I did attempt to go into as well was on the chemistry of psychedelics. And again, I think I've done a really good job trying to understand the chemistry of cannabis. I know that there are people listening to this that would disagree with some of the things that I've said in the past or that I am saying, and that's okay. I don't think that we all have to have the explicit same agreement on everything, but my hope is always that we can better educate ourselves by talking to each other and having discussion and having dialogue. And so that was really an interesting aha moment of just there is chemistry and there is science and it's being applied in the psychedelic space. And so how does that chemistry from a psychedelic perspective differ from the chemistry being applied in the cannabis space? So I know that was a lot and that's not even like the half of it. I'm going to keep going. So that's just like me highlighting a little bit of setting the stage for really this breakdown of what is synthetic, is synthetic good or bad, and is natural good or bad, and then where do those intersect, and what is the application of the reality of that on both the cannabis industry and the psychedelic industry and the plant industry at large. As I was walking around the show floor, they had a trade show floor. It was interesting because I did see some there was some like hemp slash cannabis brands that had become vendors and they were offering adaptogenic mushrooms, if that's like a fair classification. So they're non-psychedelic, they're adaptogenic. So think of reishi and lion's mane and other non-psychedelic, non-psychoactive compounds, and then adding it with hemp. So adding CBD, adding CBG, other cannabinoids and marrying the two. So that's also an interesting area of can you mix these compounds? What does that look like? Does that make the effects greater or lesser than? And so trying to just understand, again, where the overlap and where the similarities and where that's trending towards. But overall, like big takeaway really just left the conversation thinking, oh my gosh, the psychedelic community embraces synthetics. They're truly seeing this as a medical application. And now how do I build a bridge to cannabis? So then I left that event and I went to the Cannabis Marketing Summit and have to give super kudos out to the Cannabis Marketing Association. This was their second year putting on this event in Denver. They are like the premier cannabis marketing group. They're an association. If you are a cannabis marketer and you're not a part of Cannabis Marketing Association, this is your encouragement to join. I really love what Lisa has built with her group. 
She has also been a former podcast guest. So if you want to learn more about it, you can definitely go check out Lisa Buffo and the Cannabis Marketing Association. But going into kind of like the theme of the event, Lisa gave a really great keynote on the state of cannabis marketing specifically, and she shared a lot of really key data points from New Frontier Data, who was at the conference as well, who spoke and was presenting even more of their data. But I just wanted to go through some of those data points because I think it is just, again, an interesting contrast to help put all of this in perspective. And so the first thing that I want to highlight is the theme was doing more with less. And so how can we as an industry with limited resources and budgets do more with less? If you only have so many things you can do in a day, in a week, in a month with your business, with your brand, what are you going to invest in? And so one of the data points was taking this total number of probable consumers, 160 million probable consumers in the United States of America. That's 160 million people who probably consume cannabis. Only 52 million are accounted for as active in the legal market. So what that means is there are over 108 million purchasing in the illicit market. And the theme of doing more with less and this idea of you don't need to be competing with your neighbors for the same competition. You need to be going out beyond the active legal market and trying to tap into the illicit market is a really interesting idea. Like, I, I think that's remarkable. There is more people purchasing cannabis illicitly than regulated markets. And I'm curious, does that shock you? Is that in line? Are you a consumer who's like, yeah, I'm in the industry, but I still shop illicitly because of the taxation? That's being imposed when I shop in a dispensary, the other regulations and stipulations. I just, it's an interesting point, but also stepping back and talking to some of my friends who operate in the regulated side of the cannabis industry, specifically in Colorado, they were like, yeah, but that's hard to go compete with the illicit market when to be in business, I have to have a certain price point for my product because I have to account for all these other things that go into me running in the regulated industry compared to running it in the illicit. I think a really key point, which is maybe not lost on the illicit market, because I know that there are some really strong brands doing things illicitly. But I think obviously in a regulated market, having a really strong brand that is attractive to your target consumer and speaking a language that makes sense to them, that is encouraging them to want to shop with you because of brand loyalty, brand affinity, out of curiosity. Another point that was shared by New Frontier Data is, yes, cannabis is used routinely, but 51% of consumers are eager to try new products. And so it's like, how are you as a brand putting out new products? How are you staying on top of trends? And so that was even another aspect of the conversation I was having with some of my friends who are specifically in the flower side and cultivation side of the Colorado cannabis industry. It's what are the trends that they are picking up on? And are those trends being led by the regulated market or the illicit market? And so trying to be the trend leader, I think, is where you can start to attract some of that illicit customer base over to the regulated market when you are offering interesting, compelling products with a really sexy brand that is speaking their language and attractive to them that aligns with their goals, values, buying habits, et cetera. So again, the data is really interesting to unpack. So what does that mean? How do I navigate it? Another really interesting point that was shared was which digital marketing methods are most effective for achieving your goals? 
the number one was your website and blog. And so I can't reinforce that more enough. Again, coming from a platform hosting background myself, all these other content platforms, all these other modalities, earned media, SMS marketing, sponsored content, even email marketing, which was it was up there. Email marketing was like second after website and blog content. It's just remembering and understanding like what you can control and what you can't control. And so I think as an industry that is unfortunately on the regulated side, limited, probably even illicitly, but you're limited from a social media perspective because you can't really be promoting or saying certain things. How you aggregate and build your community is going to be the differentiator that kind of sets you apart or really, in my opinion, it's not that you can't be successful flash in the pan, but what's going to build you longevity and how are you going to truly weather the storm? But other than that, I think there were really interesting conversations that took place. Again, I'm going to be doing more of a deep dive on a lot of the Cannabis Marketing Summit stuff, both on tobebluntpod.com as well as on my social media channel at the Shade of Tarabi and at tobebluntpod. But just to highlight some of the interesting topics that were covered, we were talking about how to take the stress out of creating an annual marketing budget to mastering negotiation skills. So developing fundamental skills for success in the cannabis industry, which I thought was really interesting because negotiation is half the battle. It's like you're talking to people who they or act like they know what's going on when in reality, this industry is still figuring itself out. So always tread with caution. There was also a really great discussion on is your brand ready for national expansion, which I found really informative. So breaking down licensing versus co-manufacturing and at what stage your business or brand needs to be in to go after one of those deals and which one may or may not be more lucrative. I really enjoyed listening to a panel on meeting the press. I got to talk to a lot of really great journalists and editors covering cannabis beats in the media and really understanding a little bit more from their perspective of how they like to be pitched, how they like to be engaged with, and really what they're looking for, which the punchline is they want authentic stories. They don't want you to be gimmicky or to say what you think they want to hear. They want your real true story. And the more that you can be available with authenticity, I think the better chance that you will have at resonating and having your story actually told, which just kind of like back up this whole conversation. I'm really just trying to be out here sharing information. I do operate in the industry and I do operate specifically on the hemp side. And so I understand that there might be a bias because of the nature of the business that I do. But I'm trying to really expand beyond that and get a good pulse, the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs, the lows, the pros, the cons on like, where is this going? What are we working towards? Again, I talked earlier about legalization and decriminalization. And is that what we want as an industry? Do we want legalization or do we want decriminalization? Do we want there to be interstate commerce? Do we want the states to retain their economies and have some sort of limitation for what actually gets distributed? Because I forget who said it, and I feel like I hear this all the time, but some small state, I think it's like Idaho. Idaho, in theory, could grow all the cannabis for all the operators in the United States, for all 160 million consumers. That is not great. I don't want it just to be grown in Idaho. I want the opportunity to be able to see different markets emerge and different competition challenge and be competitive for the consumers, right? Like these consumers, they want new products, they want innovation. And so I think when you have a closed market, a limited market, a limited licensure situation, you're not actually welcoming creativity. And I don't know, it's just one of those things like, what are we working towards? And so again, bringing it back to my point of this synthetic versus non-synthetic versus natural versus not natural, 
I guess like the kind of final point I'll make on this rant that I'm making is I found myself in multiple conversations talking about this very topic expanded because if you can imagine, I was learning these things in real time and I was like, ooh, I gotta talk about it to everybody. So every conversation I was entering in, I was trying to bring up, look at this thing that I'm learning about the psychedelic community and what do you think about that? And what do you think about cannabis application of synthetics? And how does that differ from naturally occurring? And just trying to unpack all of that with everybody that I would come in contact with. So if you were listening to this and you were somebody that I talked to, thank you for entertaining and educating and sharing your perspective with me. Again, I think that's the best thing that we can do is just put these information pieces out on the table for us to have conversation. But I did find myself in a very intense, heated conversation because I was talking to some operators who were specifically in the Colorado cannabis community as licensed, regulated businesses, and they were getting very frustrated at the bad side, the dirty side, the negative side of these synthetic cannabinoids specifically. And it just was a really interesting conversation to be having because, again, I was left thinking a lot of thoughts. One, in a state like Texas, where we are very much fighting towards adult use, our medical market is very reduced at this point, as you may or may not know from just my experience talking about it, or maybe you're in Texas and you live it every day too. And so the alternative to access, in my opinion, is bringing these products like Delta 8 and Hep Drive Delta 9 to market in the safest way possible. Again, is the argument that Delta 8 is bad or is the argument that there's good and bad chemistry and if that's the argument, then I would argue that there's good chemists out there. There's good manufacturing practices. And that's where I'm trying to just like meet in the middle and try to have these conversations because I did an episode a couple episodes ago about CBN. And that's a whole wild rabbit hole because it's like you have the regulated market who is now introducing CBN into their ratioed products. In fact, I bought many products while I was in Colorado that had CBN in them, had CBG in them, had CBD in them. And the reality is, while it's not the same application for all cannabinoids, all minors, CBN in particular, I know without a doubt, the majority of it being made in the marketplace is coming from a synthesized process, coming from a chemically derived process. And so to sit here and say that all synthetics are bad without fully giving credit to what's already being done and what's already being adopted is just like a little bit of ignorance of just like unawareness. And so looking at one, you have cannabinoids that have bled into the regulated market that are very much synthesized already. Two, I then was trying to shine a light. And I've mentioned this certainly on other episodes. There is a wave of hemp-derived cannabis compounds, specifically hemp-derived Delta 9, hitting the national market, specifically in beverages. I know if you've listened to my beverage episodes, you've heard that unpacked even more. So I'm not going to really go into it in too much detail. But again, I'm having like all these little different examples of, oh, but CBN is made that way. And oh, what about the regulated industry actually taking advantage of this quote unquote loophole? And again, it's not, is it right? Is it wrong? In a perfect world, cannabis would not be a scheduled drug. We would all have the freedom and flexibility to grow it in our own backyards. But the reality is it is becoming a commodity and capitalism has entered the building. And so you now have to compete for market share. When you want legalization, you are welcoming in. It's like this argument of we don't want the government oversight, but at the same time, like we want 
banking laws to be passed. So it's an interesting and tough predicament for us to be in. And again, I'm not saying either side is right or wrong. I'm just simply trying to lay out these perspectives on the table for us to discuss and unpack them because it's do you or don't you want cannabis to progress? And if you want cannabis to progress, then you can't ignore what is already happening. One, in the pharmaceutical world. Two, clearly happening in the psychedelic community. Three, is being applied now to cannabis from a synthesized cannabinoid perspective. But yes, to me, what I would love to see which would hopefully help clarify a lot of the rogueness of the synthetics when it comes to cannabis is better regulation. But I think we all know that regulation is either overly regulated or underregulated. And I think in the case of hemp-derived cannabinoids, it's underregulated. And there's certainly a lot of work that needs to be done. But, you know, from lobbying at a federal level, lobbying at a state level on the hemp side, specifically talking about these hemp-derived cannabinoids a lot with policymakers as well as just operators, again, on both sides of the political aisle, on both sides of the cannabis aisle, from regulated to medical to the hemp side. It's just, it's all converging. And I don't think anybody has a really good clear picture of where it's going to go. And so I just left that conversation with a little bit of frustration because I was trying to communicate that I hear them and I see their perspective, but that this isn't going anywhere And so instead of saying that we don't like something and it should be outlawed, instead of taking it off the market, how about you better regulate it in the market? And that's been our argument, especially here locally with Texas legislative session wrapping up a couple months ago. It's if you take something off the table, it's only going to further push it into the illicit market. And especially in a state like Texas, like, again, I can understand some of these arguments coming from these regulated states where it really is competition. You've invested a lot of money and infrastructure into a program and here the stuff is going on without regulation, without oversight. That would make me frustrated too. So I see that perspective. What I'm trying to really like zero in on is that aside, this application is happening in states like Texas, my state, my background. I think that I'm qualified to speak on this because I live in it every day. And It's just it's access for consumers to have to cannabis. And so, again, as an operator, it's my job to bring that to market in the safest, most efficacious way possible, really doing my due diligence with my vendors, with the process. There's a whole myriad of cannabinoids that I personally won't sell, won't touch. That is in the category of things like HC, THCO, which the DEA came out and explicitly said was a true synthetic, THCP, THCJD. There's a lot of them. And I get it. It's alphabet soup and... I know we've talked about it a lot on the podcast as well, because this is a really hot topic for me to just bust open and just talk about. But again, it's reinforcing that conversation now with this insight of what is happening in psychedelics. And so if it's an argument of good versus bad chemistry, that argument could also be applied to psychedelics, where psychedelics, too, is using chemistry to execute these psychedelics. And so... That's the aha takeaway that I had. And I had to just get it out. I had to mumble, fumble my way through it. So if you're listening to this whole thing, thank you very much. I hope this was informative. And like I said, I'm sure there's way more topics to unpack and conversations to be had about this. I really hope that you hear my heart in this discussion because I I respect the hustle no matter how you're hustling. I respect the illicit hustle. I respect the regulated hustle. I respect the hemp hustle. We are all trying to get our foothold in an industry that is moving at the speed of light. And I think people need to give some 
appreciation and awareness for that because this is a really tumultuous industry. And I genuinely want to think that there are only good actors and operators out there, but I know that's not the case. And so unfortunately, there are bad operators, but the reality is there's bad operators, yes, in hemp, but there's bad operators in the illicit market and there's for sure bad operators in the regulated market. So to act like one market is the culprit for a bad reputation for cannabis or safety issues is just not a fair argument, in my opinion, because I think there's just so much more to go in, like getting into THC levels, getting into proper testing, getting into dosing. There's some states where their dose for products is in the three to 5,000 milligram per candy bar range. And I would argue that's way too much THC for somebody to be having. But again, that's your market. That's what your market has created. And so instead of eliminating it, how do we work together to better address it, discuss it, dissect it, and plan to move forward? So that's all I think I have right now. I'm sure there will be more. Like I said, if you want to connect, please reach out. If you have resources, please share them. If you have follow-up thoughts, please let me know. I would love to talk about it, whether it's a DM on social media, whether it's an email, whether it's in person, a phone call. I think these conversations are too important to not discuss. And I guess the final point I'll share, I'm really grateful that I have this podcast. I'm really grateful that I get to represent a state like Texas. I'm a little biased. It is my home state. So I, of course, want to see it succeed. But I'm also, again, like I mentioned in the beginning, I live in reality. And the reality of my state is, especially after session, medical teacup is not moving for another two years. Adult use isn't coming for another six to 10 years. And that's a hard pill to swallow. And I think you have a lot of operators, myself included here, that are not trying to get discouraged and who want to keep pressing forward, who are trying to work with the politicians, work with the regulators, work with the consumers, do education. And at the end of the day, we live in our own bubble. We live in our own environment. And yes, I can look to what other states have done, perhaps North Carolina or Tennessee, who are certainly more aligned with my state. Or if I'm a state like Maine or even some of these newer ones coming online like New Mexico. I can look to other states like Colorado or California to see how they've done it. But the reality is your state, your politicians in your state, your community, your consumers. Again, I keep bringing up what's going on in Minnesota. It is wild to me that they are able to sell these low-dose THC beverages in their breweries. The breweries are the ones behind launching these beverages. And there's a whole argument of should cannabis and alcohol one, be sold at the same point of sale, two, be consumed at the same time, three, four, five, insert whatever other concerns you have. And so again, there's just a lot of things that we need to start unpacking as an industry. And my hope is always that this podcast can be a trusted, safe space to have different opinions and to learn and grow and collaborate together and aspire and strategize for what the future of our industry will or will not look like. So I know that was a lot. Thank you for hanging in there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hitting play, subscribing, supporting the show. And I will be back with more content, both on tobebluntpod.com and on social media. So with that said, thanks for your time. And I will catch you guys on the next episode. Bye, y'all. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, 
experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.tobebluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at theshadedtorabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt.